Ephesians chapter number 4, and we'll read verses 1 down through verse number 16. Good to start having my voice back uh, from the last few weeks, and uh, still got a little ways to go, but a whole lot better than it was last Sunday. Verse number 1, I therefore, Paul says, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We'll say more about that next week, Lord willing. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. Notice that the first part of that verse says there is one body. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, this is speaking of Jesus, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And that is certainly the role that I am playing here today as a pastor and teacher. Verse number 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. My message this morning is God's formula for a healthy body. And part number one today is identifying what that body is. Let's pray and ask the Lord that he'd bless our time together. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you asking that the Holy Spirit and your presence would be here in this place today and that you would bless your word. Lord, we believe that what we just read is the words of God. And Lord, we believe that as your children, as the family of God, we need to have knowledge and understanding of this truth. And Lord, we ask you this morning that you'd help us to be a faithful pastor, a pastor after your own heart. Help me, Lord, to bring knowledge and understanding. Lord, to keep things understandable and concise. Help me to make good use of the time that we have. Help me, Lord, to not run in any direction that wouldn't be edifying, but help me to stay on track as the Holy Spirit of God leads and guides. And I pray that you'd open up our hearts and minds. And Lord, uh, when we get to the end of this message, I pray that the Holy Spirit would uh, show each and every one of us what you would have us to do 
as we respond to your word. Have your will and way in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of God. Identifying the body. We don't want to identify the body in the morgue. A lot of times that's where bodies get identified in the morgue. Now, churches die the same way that human bodies die, sometimes through illness or disease, sometimes through injury, sometimes through old age, and sometimes through attrition. And, you know, we we sang that song, Rescue the Perishing, and there are a lot of churches that are dying of old age and dying of attrition, and uh, the reason being is because they've just became their own little comfortable club, and they're not actively involved in trying to rescue the perishing. As a pastor, a pastor is a shepherd, and the congregation or the people are a flock. And, you know, if you were a shepherd of a flock, then you would certainly want your sheep to be healthy, and you'd want them to be reproducing, because if you don't have sheep reproducing, uh, baby sheep, then eventually those sheep are all going to get old, and they're going to die, and the shepherd's going to look out, and he's going to have a pasture of grass, he's going to no longer be a shepherd, he's going to be a grass farmer. And that's not what his heart is to do. And and so anyhow, and, and many shepherds today are not truly shepherds, they've become babysitters and politicians, and their only goal is to keep people in, uh, in the church service uh, rather than to build them up in the faith and you know, a healthy church is going to be at least somewhat of a growing church. Now, having said all of that, it is not good for the church to focus too much on the church. Uh, there was a, a program, I, I never saw it, but I get the concept. Uh, there was a program called Bridezilla. I saw it advertised, never did watch it, but we've heard of Bridezilla, and that's where you know, the bride spends all this time looking in the mirror and focusing on the bride, and I've seen that and been part of weddings. I'm sure that those of you that are preachers and you've been part, you've seen a bridezilla in your time or two where, I mean, everything was about, you know, the show. And and by the way, I told my wife when she was doing the PowerPoint, I said, I want a picture of a bride looking in the mirror. And she said, she told me, she said, I'm having a hard, I said, I want a modest picture of a bride looking in the mirror. And she said, all I can find is ones from India. And I thought, isn't that a real shame? Amen? Isn't that a shame? And by the way, and you young ladies, if you are a young lady here in this church, please, I'm going to call a timeout. I'm going to give you some pastoral admonition, all right? Uh, your dress is not supposed to look sexy, it's supposed to look pure. And listen, I don't care what this culture has turned marriage into, all right? Marriage is supposed to be a sacred thing. It is not your special day to where you get all of your glory and honor. Listen, that goes with it, but that's a side effect of it, all right? Everybody's looking at the bride and groom. You'll get your attention but you need to make sure that you're glorifying God. And I just don't get it where Christians think that a wedding is an opportunity to show their bosoms and show all of their skin, knowing that they wouldn't dress that way in public or in a church service. And yet they think that just because it's my special day, then 
I can do whatever I want. Listen, if you are in your wedding and I'm looking around for little girls and all I see is boys, anyhow, you're going to be marrying somebody one day though and just tell your bride-to-be, I want you to look pure and holy, all right? I don't know why they think that it's the time to look hot and sexy and to, to, to make something that honors and glorifies the world's concept of marriage. And I'm not saying you got to walk down the aisle looking like you just got off the Amish wagon and horse and buggy. I'm not saying that. You say, well, I just couldn't find a dress. Well, you know what? It's an important thing. Have one made. If you need help, my wife will make one for you, right? She's dying right now. No, she won't. But she'd be happy to guide you through what is, uh, what is modest and what is glorifying to the Lord. Amen? That was for free. All right, timeout's over. Everybody's okay. Let's move right on along. Our focus is not supposed to be all the time on the church. It's supposed to be on Jesus Christ and the things that he focuses on. However, in the day we live in, the church has morphed into a religious social club or a corporately run machine. And that's not good, folks. It's imperative that we know what the Word of God teaches regarding the church and what makes the church healthy. I'm not going to be saying a whole lot here this morning about what makes a healthy church or a healthy body, But uh, I am going to be spending some time identifying what exactly the body is. And by the way, the size of a congregation or denomination is no indicator of a church's health and certainly not of God's approval. There are plenty of religions all over the world. There are Christian religions and churches in this country today that are mega churches, denominations that have Tons of people and churches and members and money, and I could name all of them, and you would know that they exist, and you pass by many of those denominational churches. I don't care what the size is, that's no indicator that God has put His approval or His smile upon that church or denomination or religion. Is the grass greener on the other side of the fence? You know, churches, as I've already said, churches, healthy sheep will reproduce and churches uh, should grow and we should have a desire for churches to grow. I mean, you should look around and you should see empty seats and you should say, what a shame. I mean, my pastor's up there and he is with love and with, with backbone and with kindness and, and openness. He's feeding us the Word of God. What a shame that these seats are empty and that there's not more people that are getting the Word of God. I believe this book will change your life. It changed my life when I surrendered to it and submitted to it, and it changed my life for the better. I literally tremble to think about what a wreck my life would be today. That is, if I was still alive today, if I hadn't a surrender to this book uh, back in about 1986, I'm so thankful that the Lord got a hold of my heart. In fact, my life verse is Psalm 119, verse number 11, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto 
according to thy word. I'm so glad God got a hold of my heart and I started taking heed to the word of God rather than just carrying it or reverencing it or coming to church and sitting there and ignoring everything that was being said. Healthy sheep will reproduce, but most church growth today is honestly due to excitement or entertainment or sadly from loosening the standard. Listen, if if you if a church has to loosen the standard in order to get people in, what are we saying about when when we do that, that is a slippery slope. Now I'm not saying that if we have a rule or we have a standard that was based on tradition or politics or whatever, and we find out from the Word of God that, hey, maybe that rule or that standard is not scriptural, well, certainly we should change. The Pharisees were terrible about that. They had all these traditions, and they weren't worried about what the Word of God said. They were worried about pleasing the Sanhedrin and all of the religious leaders, and we don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. And it was all based on politics and fear and what man thought rather than saying, what does the Word of God say? Because listen, there are principles in the Bible that will tell you and me how we ought to dress and how we ought to talk, what we ought to listen to and what we ought to watch and what we ought not watch and listen to. These are all personal things that affect us in our life. And I'm telling you, modern church today does not want a preacher or a pastor to say anything that really truly encroaches upon those personal things that and the way that we live our life. Just, you know, just make me, give me a feeling, give me something that isn't personal, something I can walk out the door and I can complain about the Democrats or I can complain about this, these people or that people, preach against their sins, but don't get too personal with me. I submit to you here this morning, that is not a biblical church, folks. The pastor is supposed to, as we read just a few moments ago, he's supposed to speak the truth in love. If you've got a preacher who won't tell you the truth, you've got the wrong kind of preacher. And I don't mean that they tell you something that's wrong. I mean they're willing to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Modern Christianity, it's like, we'll just lessen the standard. We won't, we won't compromise, and we won't say that something that's wrong is right, and something that's right is wrong. We'll just take those personal areas in God's people's lives, and we'll just be silent on those. And, and you know what they say. They'll say, well, you just got to pick and choose your battles, right? And sometimes I scratch my head, and I go, which battles are you picking? Because I don't see any. Right? Or it's not a hill worth dying on. Well, pray tell what hill is worth dying on. Because I just don't see a whole lot of hills being fought for and saying, hey, the Word of God is crystal clear. We're going to stand for what is right. And if the whole world is against us, we're going to stand for what God says. Because after, when it's all said and done, what He thinks is all that's going to matter. Now, if we have to dwindle down to just a handful of people... I, I'm con- I am committed. I am committed that if we dwindled down to where it was me and my wife and she's the only one listening to me, the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. 
Listen, you'd rather have a preacher that would say, hey, I'm not going to weaken the message, not going to soften the standard and loosen all that. You're going to stick to the Word of God and uh, no matter what happens. I know that's always been the kind of preacher that I wanted. I want somebody that's going to love me enough to tell me the truth, whether I like it or not. Listen, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and then I'll move on here this morning. There will always be a battle at the line. Hey, parents, are you listening? There's always going to be a battle at the line. Give in a little bit today. You're just going to be fighting over the new line tomorrow. And then tomorrow when it's not going, you know, people are saying, well, just lessen, loose. if you just lessen the standard a little bit, then more people would come. That family wouldn't have left. Listen, if i got to compromise the Word of God to keep you in this church, then you're not in this church. Because the body is a spiritual entity. It is not a social entity. Listen, I want you to be here. God wants you to be here. He wants you to be under the sound of the Word of God. But God is more interested where your heart is than rather than just where your rear end is on Sunday morning. And we need to remember that. And I know that's kind of straight talk, but I think you get what we're trying to say here today. A healthy body. There's a lot of emphasis placed today on the health of the physical body. Diet, exercise, mental fitness, getting some muscles, your six-pack. I just, I, I promise you, I have a six-pack. It's just in bubble wrap. <laughs> Underneath there, I guarantee you, there's all, all six of those muscles are there. Now, all of that, folks, there's nothing wrong with all of that in moderation. But the Bible tells us clearly in 1 Timothy 4, 8, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Can you imagine if the church in America in 2023 put as much time, energy, effort, and money in in the things that God cares about, the spiritual things, as they do in their membership to the health club and their diet and all the different things, the time that they spend exercising and working out. Once again, these are good things. We could all use being a little healthier, amen? But the problem today is people truly, and I'm going to be give you some more straight talk, generally speaking, people don't really care about being healthy. They want to be sexy. Even God's people, even, and, and you know, what's the point? And, and you, you watch it. I've seen it time and time again. Somebody who is, uh, you know, more in the category that I am and they start dieting and exercising and they start looking good and getting some guns here and, you know, looking real slim. And next thing you know, their wardrobe starts changing. And it's not because the other clothes were too big necessarily. It might have had something to do with it. But you start seeing that all of a sudden now, especially, you, you know, young men, you start getting guns. What happens? Instead, you know, you should be wearing a large T-shirt and you put on a medium. Right? Now, I'm speaking from observation, not experience, okay? I know that. 
but you know, but I've seen that. And, and the same thing with 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 ladies. You know, it's like all of a sudden there something changes, and they start looking in the mirror too much. And you know, and that that just proves my point that it wasn't about being healthy to begin with, so that we could serve the Lord. It was like I'm trying to be attractive. And you know what? What good if you, especially if you're married, and listen, even if you're not married. What kind of girl are you going to attract with biceps? That's kind of shallow, don't you think? You should attract them with your intelligence and your character. Maybe go to the gym. (laughs) Joking. But seriously, if it's all the physical, and, 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 you know, I've finally accepted the fact that you can't hang on to that forever. You've seen some of these Hollywood stars and where well, they got money and they can, they can get surgeries and they can do all kinds of things, but oh, time does not serve them well. Man, I've seen some of them. It's like, wow, I got to move on. I prayed before this, Lord, help me to not do what I'm doing right now. But, you know, it comes down to where it's not about stewardship of the health that God has given us, but it becomes all about ego and feeling good about myself. Listen, we should say, hey, I want to be healthy so that I can serve the Lord. That's why Paul said bodily exercise profiteth little. In comparison, if you've got to choose between you know, lifting weights or reading your Bible and you can only, you only got time for doing two. Read the Bible. Because that's going to benefit you way more than to spend that time in that bodily exercise. And so this morning's message is point number one. And I've got about 15 minutes here to preach this one point. And that is we want to demonstrate the meaning of church from the scriptures. Notice with me in verse number four of our text here, it says once again that there is one body, one body. And I'll show you here in just a few minutes that when you see that word body, it's talking about the church. Matthew 16 and verse number 18. I'm going to, I'm going to show you something that is often misquoted and misinterpreted. If you misinterpret it, then listen, I mean you no harm, and I'm not being nitpicky. And if you hear a preacher misinterpret this verse, then don't be nitpicky with them, all right? But Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There are two common false interpretations of this verse. Of course, the Roman Catholic Church says that Peter was the first pope and that the church is built upon Peter. He's the rock. No, Peter was Cephas, who is a stone, not a rock, not a foundation. The Bible says there is none other, there is no other foundation given among men whereby we must be saved. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. Peter himself referred to Jesus as the rock. Now, if you were to study this, and we don't have time for it here this morning, this is Jesus answering Peter when he said, whom do men say that I am? And Peter, unlike the rest of the apostles, he said, 
that I say that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the subject at hand. And when Peter said, thou art Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus answered and said, look, you're Peter, you're just a stone, but upon this rock, Jesus was referring to him. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus is saying, on this rock, I will build my church. The church is built upon Jesus Christ, not any earthly organization. You can study that out for yourself, and it bears witness clearly. Jesus is pointing at himself. You're Peter, but on this rock. And it's a, it's a, you gotta look at it carefully and closely. And the second misinterpretation works the same way. The rest of the verse, it says, he says, on this rock I will build my church. That's, the church is built on Jesus. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the common interpretation is that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs and tell me that the gates of hell did not prevail somewhat against the church. All right? What the gates of hell did not prevail against was the rock Jesus Christ, because Jesus was the one that was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In Acts it says, my soul was not left in hell. Jesus went to the heart of the earth. He went to hell and the gates of hell did not prevail against him. He's the rock. Once again, if somebody gets up here and says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, that is standard, that is common. I don't, listen, I, I don't have any any beef with that. It's easy to misunderstand, but listen, you look at that closely, what I'm telling you here today is clearly, and I say with no apology, the truth and the accurate, the accurate interpretation of what this verse says. So the church is built upon Jesus. It is not a denomination or an affiliation. Listen, uh, we are Temple Baptist Church. We are not affiliated with anyone outside of this congregation. We are accountable to God, the Bible, and one another. Outside of that, hey, we've got some people that we fellowship. Uh, we appreciate other churches that are like-minded. It's good to have Brother Mitch Service, who's a like-minded preacher. And listen, I, I count it a privilege to be able to fellowship and identify with him. We are a Baptist church simply because the term Baptist describes what we are and what we believe. That's all that it is. It's not an organization or a denomination. We are totally independent and unaffiliated. If we took the name Baptist out of our church and we were just Temple Church, it would not change not one iota of who we are and what we stand for. Nothing would change of any substance. Now, I fear that if we were to do that and we took that identification out, that in years to come, there would be people that would start coming to this church that don't believe the way that we believe and that potentially that lack of identification could cause the church to drift doctrinally into a different direction. And so just as a matter of wisdom and expediency, I'm not going to take the name Baptist out of our church just to accommodate all of these modern Baptist churches that they take it off of there because they don't want to identify 
with us crabby, judgmental, pharisaical Baptists that actually believe the Word of God. I'm not, I'm not ashamed. I, 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 I want people to know what we stand for. And, you know, we've got, we've got a heritage. A Baptist historically, not all of them had their doctrine perfect like us. I'm, I'm joking, all right? We're, we're students. We're learning. But it doesn't mean we haven't learned a thing or two, okay? But we've got some heritage back there that people that believe like we believe were persecuted by both Catholics and Protestants because they believe that you're supposed to be baptized after you get born again. And we don't believe that baptizing babies does any good other than just get your baby wet. might make you feel a little religious, but in heaven, in God's eyes, you know what it did? Nothing. Or it could do something very harmful, and that is you could, that baby could grow up into an adult and think, hey, I'm okay because I was baptized as a baby. All the while that they're on their way to a devil's hell and they don't even know it. So, yeah, that's why we are Temple Baptist Church. The term church means assembly or congregation, and it can be a reference to many things. Let me give you a handful of verses. Acts 7, verse number 38. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. The children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness, guess what God in the New Testament referred to them as? He referred to them as a church. And you may scratch your head and go, wait a minute, I thought we just read in Ephesians that there's one body. Well, it's interesting and it's relevant that God doesn't refer to the children of Israel in the wilderness as a body. He refers to them as a church. And uh, we'll, we'll see a couple other um, relevant passages here in a moment. All right, Acts 19, verse 37. For ye have brought hither these men which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. We had a, back in Brother Runyon's church, we had a guy in the church that was a, a Christian pretender. And he always wanted to volunteer to take the offering. And it got suspicious that he was skimming something off the top of the plate. And so I started watching him. You remember this, don't you? I was sitting right over in this area, and so while the prayer was going on over the offering, you know, some people would come up and they'd put their money in the offering before the service, and and I'm sitting over there, and I'm watching his, he's holding that plate, and I'm watching his hands get real fidgety, and I'm thinking, oh, busted. Well, that particular time, he didn't get caught. He, uh, I don't know, he might have looked around. Maybe he sensed that my eyes were drilling holes in the back of his head. I don't know. But he didn't do it, but he did another time. And I always think of this incident when I think of this verse here, robbers of churches. I go, that must have been that man's life verse. (laughs) But on a serious note, this robbers of churches, the churches being referred to in Acts 19.37 
are actually pagan churches where people are gathering, if you look at the last part, blasphemers of your goddess. This is These are churches that people who worship the goddess Diana are coming together in their assembly and they're teaching them and they're worshiping Diana. So the term, the point we're trying to make here today is the word church, church has a meaning. And when you see the word church in the Bible, it's not always talking about us. The context will tell you whether it is or not. Acts 16, verse number 5. And so were the churches. Now, we start seeing, instead of the word church in the Bible, we start seeing the term churches, plural. The churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. This is a Gentile church as opposed to the Jewish church of Acts chapter number 2 and so forth. Now, from our perspective... Just what we were, us today, what we need to know and understand, there are two variables of the meaning of church. It can be local, not loco, although sometimes I wonder. Local, or, and I'll use this term even though some theologians don't like it, the term universal. Local or universal. Some believe in one, but not the other. And uh, there are various, some people believe in the local church only. Some believe in the universal church only. So let me just give a little bit of definition of what we're talking about. The local church, that is a local assembly of believers. All right? That would be Temple Baptist Church. We are assembled here. We have a, we have a role. We have a membership and so forth, and we are a local church. And then you have the universal church. The universal church is the term that describes everyone that has been born again into God's family, regardless of what church they attend to. You know, I may, I may burst your bubble a little bit, but, you know, I believe that there are people that are in, I don't think there's a ton of them, but I think there are people sitting in a Catholic church here today that are part of the universal church. They've been born again. Yeah, like I said, I don't think there's tons of them, but they're out there. You know how you get saved? You get saved by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you get regenerated, born again. The way you get born again is by responding to the gospel message, and the gospel message is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3 makes that clear. So anytime, I don't care what church that someone's sitting in, if somehow or another the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the payment for our sins, if that gets presented, even if it's skewed or watered down or whatever, the Holy Spirit can take that because Paul said that therein, in the, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. So that gospel message can save someone. I don't care what church they're sitting in. Now, the term universal, you, you, you're, you're familiar, I'm probably, with the Latin word, which is Catholic. And I say Catholic with a little c, not a big c. It's not necessarily the Catholic church. Now, the Catholic church with a big c they claim that we are the universal church. We're the only one. It's We're the organization, and 
we're universal, it's everywhere, but anybody that's not part of us is not part of the church. I don't believe that. I've already said, I don't, I don't care what actual local church that you attend, uh, what matters is whether you have been born again into God's family. Consider 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Here's another verse that is so commonly misrepresented. It says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Once again, that body is the church. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Notice there's two parts of that verse. We've got baptized and we've got drink. All of those are, that, those are both metaphors. And, uh, but notice that the term spirit with a capital S is associated with both of those aspects. I know, I know Christians, well-meaning, that look at that verse and they see, there's, listen, there is not a drop of water in that verse. Not a drop. Not a single drop of water in that verse. It is all about the Spirit of God. Some people read that and they say, well, look there. I become a member of the church by being baptized, not by a screen. Behind the screen is a baptism, a pool. And some people think that's how you become a member of the church is by water baptism. It's because they don't study this out clearly and they're messed up. And every time they see the term baptized, they assume it's water. And every time they see the word water, they assume it's talking about baptism. And that is clearly not the case. Now, those who think that church membership is by water baptism, then what do they do with the drinking part? I, you know, I, I've said this. So Now, you believe that when you were baptized and the preacher dunked you under the water, did you take a gulp? I would listen. I if I if I had to do that, let me go first. I remember one time we the the church in Idaho we got new uh, baptism robes, the white ones, and they were it was all new cloth. And so uh, I think I was doing that baptism service, and so the people getting baptized would come down into the water and they'd get dunked. All of the lint from those white baptismal robes was just floating on the surface of the water. I'm going, yeah, we didn't think that one through very well. But I thought about that. It's like, man, I'd hate to have to take a drink of that baptism water. But the point I'm trying to make, and I hope it's coming across clearly, you can't literalize the first part and then spiritualize the second. And I think the Holy Spirit put that drinking metaphor because we're drinking of the Spirit. We're receiving the Spirit into our life. We are baptized. We are immersed into the body of Christ. It's a spiritual transaction that takes place. We don't see it. We may or we may not feel it, but it is so in the spirit world. It's something that spiritually takes place. So the text here has nothing to do with local church. Even though, listen, to be scripturally baptized is certainly a good prerequisite for people that are joining your local church. And I really got to hurry here this morning. The scripture clearly teaches both a universal 
and a local church. To deny one or the other causes major error in practice, application, and doctrinal exegesis. The body is the church. If you, if you question that at all, if you're uncertain about that, let me give you two passages of Scripture that make it crystal clear. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body. That's Jesus Christ, the head of the body, comma, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Once again here, this is Jesus that's born from the dead, not the church born from the dead. Colossians 1.24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which behind, which is behind of the afflictions of Christ and my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Proponents of local church only make a big deal out of the Greek lexicon word ekklesia. The Greek lexicon says ekklesia is a called out assembly. I have no problem with that definition because a church is indeed a called out assembly. But they make a big deal out of it because they want to teach that the term church in the Bible is always talking about the local church. But there are some problems with that. In fact, I would say this, if the church, the only definition of church is a called out assembly, is it still the church after everybody goes home? Because when you go home, you're not assembled, right? So let's take a look at a scriptural definition. Hebrews 2.12, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. This is a New Testament quote of an Old Testament verse, and it's Psalm 22, verse number 22. Notice the, notice the, the, the contrasting terminology. I believe that these different terms, they define, the Bible defines itself. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. So Psalms calls the church a congregation. In Hebrews, we find it called the church. And so as far as I'm concerned, congregation is a very good definition of what the term church means. In Exodus 35, verse number 1, And Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together. They were the congregation of Israel before they were gathered together in a local assembly. Why were they a congregation? Because they were called out of Egypt, right? And that's what the the Scripture is consistent with itself That's why we believe in a universal church. That's everyone that's been called out of the world and born again. And then we also, we meet together in a local assembly, and that's the teaching of the local church. You don't believe one at the expense of the other because the Bible says both of these entities, if you will, they completely mesh together. The local is supposed to be a visible manifestation of the universal. Furthermore, we read in Hebrews 12, verse number 22, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. Hey, where... Where is the names of the membership of this church written? 
It's written in heaven. That's the universal church, not the local. In Acts 2.47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, it's interesting. In Acts 2.47, this is one of the few times. uh, Remember I I said earlier that Acts 16.15 refers to it as the churches in a particular region, but here we say that we find that the Lord added to the church. This is one of the few times in church history in which the church was both universal and local. This church at Jerusalem, everyone that had been born again was right here in this church. The gospel message had not spread. The application of Christ's teaching was simple. There were no other options. Now today, and I'm almost finished, folks, today it is exponentially complicated. Got churches on every corner, all kinds of varieties and beliefs, and then also, and I always, I always, this breaks my heart, I think it's a shame that here in our community, we've got literally churches on almost every corner that really, if you boiled everything down to what they believe, we all believe alike. And yet, we have, you know, you've got little congregations over here trying to support a pastor and pay the power bill and you know, they got 17 people in them and they just don't want to give up and you got the same thing, you know, a quarter of a mile away and then another one down in the country over here. And what a shame that people like that who basically believe the same thing couldn't just all come together and be a powerhouse for Jesus Christ and the gospel here in Iredell County. I don't have the answer to that. I just simply know from a scriptural standpoint that It's schismatic, it's messed up, and it is not the way that God intended things to be. And because of that, local church membership has become a necessity of expediency. I I, I guess I'm kind of doing some bubble bursting here today, and this may burst your bubble. Local church membership is not in the Bible. Like I said, the church at Jerusalem, that was local and universal. Now, we have a membership here at Temple Baptist Church, and the first and foremost thing that we try to interview and ascertain is that you are a member of the universal church before you try to become a member of this local church. But we have to have a process, and we have to make it official. We have to make it administrative out of issues of expediency because the way that the church functions here in 2023 America is we have buildings, we have property, we have tax laws, we have all kinds of things that in order to be expedient, we have to maintain and encourage a local church membership. It is not anti-scriptural. It is just something that is not the way. Listen, it was God's will that there be one congregation of believers in every area, in every city. You don't find multiple churches in the same town or community. You find multiple churches in a region such as Galatia. But when uh, Paul's addressing the church at Philippi, he didn't say churches. He said the church. 
And that's the way that it was supposed to be. And so we're just, we're trying to do the best we can with what we've got to work with in, um, in modern Christian culture. So conclusion, what is your perspective on the church? Number one, are you a member of the universal church, meaning you're saved, but not a member of the local church? I know personally, as a pastor, I have a heart. Listen, if you are sitting here under the sound of my preaching, as far as God's concerned, I consider myself responsible for you, and as far as I'm concerned, I'll pastor you as long as you let me pastor you. I'll preach to you as if you are a church member. It's not going to change my heart toward you one iota. Now, there may be some privileges and some service opportunities that would be afforded to you if you would go through that process of joining the local church. But if you look at our text here, if your Bible's still open, in verse 11 through verse number 13, it says he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ, and obviously for our doctrinal soundness, for our practical service, trying to reach the world for Christ, and for the body to be edifying itself in love, I believe that it is important that you be a member of a local church. Number two, are you a member of the local church, but not a member of the universal church? Just saying that makes me choke back tears. Because only God knows how many people are members of a local church but have never been born again. Listen, you might, you might have grown up in this church. You might have been born when your family was members of this church and it's, hey, this is my church and I'm a part of it and I'm here and I come to the services. That doesn't mean you've been born again. You need to be saved. Number three, are you a member of neither Maybe you're not a, you're not in the universal church and you're not a member of a local church. Well, first, get saved. Second, follow the Lord and get actively involved and be a member of a local church, a Bible-believing church. Number four, are you a member of the local church? Uh, you got to pay close attention to this. Are you a member of the local church administratively but not practically? What do I mean by that? Well, you've joined or you were raised in the church, but you don't really serve or faithfully attend. If that's the case, I would encourage you, listen, God blesses and God's means of ministry and edification is the local church. I highly recommend that you get on board with his program. Number five, are you a member of the local church practically? but not administratively. Now, hey, this is far better than option number four. Listen, you're you're a whole lot better to be actively and practically faithfully attending and serving and doing what you can to serve the Lord, even though your name does not appear on, you know, the church membership role. Way better than option four, but I would ask you the question, why not publicly and officially become a member? If you believe that this is where God would have you to be and 
One of the things that I tell people is, look, according to verse number 11, God's got a pastor for everyone. And people don't like to have a pastor. They're fine with, you know, I can watch this guy on the TV or the Internet, but I really don't want accountability. I don't want anybody to really know me and get involved in my life. And, you know, we're pretty hands-off around here. I don't try to micromanage anyone. I have, can't even micromanage myself. But I will say this, that there's accountability and there's something to be said for telling your church family that, hey, I'm, I'm committed. I want to be part of this family and I believe that God has placed me here. And I think that that would be a good thing that uh, to become an um, administrative member as well as a practical member. Number six, are you a member of both? You serve and attend. I mean, you're practically and administratively a member. You're saved, but you're not spiritual. Meaning you don't have a relationship with Christ. I mean, you're here when the doors are open, but you don't read the Bible and you don't pray and you don't really live a separated life. You just kind of do your own thing. You're a what I would call a good church person. You're a churchian, not necessarily a Christian and there's a lot of churchianity in Iredell County today, and I wish there were more Christianity. And then finally, and I am done, number seven, are you administratively and practically a member of both the universal church? I mean, you're, you're saved, you're walking with the Lord, you are a member of the local church, both administratively and practically, well... Congratulations, you're right with God. (laughs) I know that wasn't very subtle, and I promise you that there was nothing manipulative about that. Listen, I I promise you, if any of these seven points, if one maybe kind of, you said, hey, that's me, you, you, you do what God would have you to do. Don't respond to me. I'm just laying it out there and telling you what I believe the Scripture teaches, and then giving you the wisdom that I see. I think that if you want to be where God wants you to be so that when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the Lord would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, this is the way that gives you the best fighting chance to be saved, to be in the Bible, to be spiritual in prayer and so forth, and then exercising that Not being selfish and just doing your own thing, but saying, hey, I want to bring what God's done in my heart, and I want to bring it to the family, and I want to edify other people and not just be on the taking side, but I also want to be on the giving side. If that's you, you're right with God, then you know what? You can come to the altar and pray for those who are not. Amen? So having said all that, let's bow our heads. We're going to have an invitation time here in just a moment. I gave you seven things that are pretty crystal clear, and you know where you're at, and I hope that I've done a good job in explaining to you where the Bible teaches you ought to be at, and maybe today would be a day to make a decision and a commitment and say, hey, I see it. I see what the Bible is teaching, and I want to make some changes in my life and get on board.